Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. One of the character in this podcast, Ernesto, is featured in an earlier podcast, in 2042 The First AI Weapon. You don't need to follow his storyline in sequence, but you have that option. It's easy to make an artificial intelligence that seems to think, but when peeps spend too much time with it, they notice cracks, and they get annoyed. The way AI makes mistakes shatters the illusion. Peeps don't like to see a friend turn into a broken piece of plastic. So new companies form. Names people never heard of become names they speak of all the time. Names like Finer Point, Mind Chazer, and Cogent. Word spreads about jobs you can do online. Thousands sign up daily. One company seeks workers who will explain things to AI. Another company will pay you to mark when an AI messes up. Exam Nation offers free testing for all ages, grades, and subjects. As experts grade the tests and offer feedback, data is collected for training AI. One company holds building design competitions. The company gives you access to design software, and the winner gets paid big bucks. You might win the prize once, but use up all your fresh ideas and never win again. For one startup you can raise an AI, interacting with it in a virtual environment. One company will pay a dollar an hour if you allow them to heavily monitor your online activity. All these startups have one thing in common, they farm data and people are the crop. Jane cautiously walks into the living room where seven people sit on salvage couches. She's skinny but muscular, and her eyebrows are leveled. Not stepping far from the front door, she says, Sergio hasn't been here, has he? He isn't here now. A young femme wearing a suit vest and chewing a lax brig, glints her eyes and says, no, he hasn't been around. Jane walks into the room and says, you'll tell me if you see him around. Half the group nod. She steps out then returns, pulling a suitcase about to explode with its contents. Disappointed that no one offers to help, she frowns but no one notices. The smell of sweat wafts off her rumpled clothes. She drags the case through the dining room furnished with more couches and some DJ equipment. In the hall, she unlocks a padlock and opens the half-tall door to the space below the stairs. She tugs her suitcase inside and closes the door. In the tiny space. She straightens out the blankets on the floor and finds a shirt she can rub on her face and neck. Later, she emerges and finds a different group in the dining room eating sandwiches and drinking bottled water. She walks slowly through, staring at the food and water. Turner, wearing a red shirt and suspenders, says, sorry, Jane, we don't have enough for you. She avoids eye contact and says, I won't beg. She walks into the kitchen and checks the bin where sometimes peeps leave food bank rejects, usually dry beans, cans of vegetables, and dry oats. Nothing in the bin. In the backyard, the faucet on the rainwater tank gives her one drip. Two femmes lie together on a hammock talking. The femme holding a flower says, hey Jane, have you tried the talent agency? Jane says, you mean the big boob agency? The femme says, that's not what it is. Jane shrugs. Mark, a guy who lives on the third floor, steps outside. He says hey Jane. She looks at him with one squinting eye and says, hey. Smiling with a piglet face, he says, I'm going to Torino's. Want to join me? She takes a deep breath, stretches upright, and says, I don't want a boyfriend. He blushes fiercely and glances over at the two femmes on the hammock who look in other directions. He says, yeah sure. She says, do you know what I mean? 
He rolls and yaws and says, sure. I get it. The restaurant is on the other side of the six train lines, literally in the shadow of the giantess tower. On the way there, Mark walks fast, slows down, then walks faster again. Everyone walking around dresses nicer than she and Mark. The scene reminds her of her college days. In the restaurant, their table is on the balcony overlooking the main floor. The bots buzz by so fast it makes her pull her arm back when one passes. A bot sets down tall cups of water, and she takes a long drink. Mark is smiley. He says, whatever you want. She flicks her finger to make the item scroll in AR and says, I need to fatten up a bit, can I order one for myself? He waves a hand and says, of course. I'm getting one for myself. Her stomach grumbles. Ernesto pushes his cart down a Pittsburgh street. His cart is a relic from a time when people parked and shopped. 41 years old, he looks like he's in his 50s. His hair rests on his head like an old mop that's dried stiff. His features stick out. Jutting cheekbones, pointed elbows, and overhanging brow. Year ago, he couldn't get money for drugs for several months, and he's never gotten on drugs since then, but his mind hasn't entirely cleared. Today is Tuesday, his favorite day. To get to the food bank, he pushes his cart miles. It takes hours, but he likes to camp where he feels safe. He sleeps in a yard in Winery Lane, a neighborhood where some people have jobs. Lots of the houses are gone, and people have noticed strange plants growing in all the abandoned lots. The Chicago PD run plays it half-transparent, so he can still see the sidewalk. These shows remind him of his younger days when he lived with his mom in one of those apartment buildings with the yard in the middle. His mouth is dry and sweat soaks through his underwear to his pants. He's here in the city but he isn't. It moves around him like hyperspace. A trolley from a neighborhood complex tower glides past. A young couple overtakes him clinging to each other. They don't know what's in store for them, but they should cling to each other. Good luck. Twelve giantess bots in a line roll down the road, each the size of those European mini cars. More buildings remain intact here and more are restored. He enters an alley between two tall grow buildings. Other homeless wander up and down the alley. Can't trust anyone. For sure some of these young men have just got out of prison. Stay aware but don't make eye contact. More people. Many sit on the road. Some lean against windowless backsides of buildings. Fifty or more people stand in the line ahead. Smell of shit baking in the sun. A big guy bounces around, pacing in random directions. He hates them and they hate him, though no one knows each other, except for the crack-up couple in a pile on the road. Keep to yourself and be ready. He waits in line now. He could get here before daybreak, but would have to wait before the food bank opens, or he could get here when it opens, but have to wait in the back of the line which can stretch around the block. Getting here half an hour before opening seems best, but the line still stretches down the alley. He turns the transparency down on Chicago PD and tunes out, watching his surroundings only enough so that he can still move when the line moves. He shifts his weight against the soles of his shoes that have long lost all spring. Sun shines against the buildings and reflects down at him. How many times has he watched these reruns? They blend into the constant show, but it hurts to look for something else. Is the line moving at all? It does grow longer as more people join. One of those young men who dresses in cheaper clothes than he can afford, comes out of the door and calls out, that's it. There's no more. A slow motion confusion passes down the line. No more. Some meek voices protest. He turns and looks around as everyone else does. The door to the bank slams shut. We were in line. It's Tuesday. Where do we go? We waited in line. Madge worked as an event planner before the media attack. At 34, her face wears a pinched expression. She used to be all pink and soft, but now she's grown tough. In the co-op, she looks through the bins and finds two blouses that may do the trick. At the counter, she says, I don't have money, can I work for these? The brown-skinned femme with a voice like a child says, glass sorting is through that door. Ask for Philip. She hands Madge a worn playing card, the two of hearts. 
hours later, in the yard behind the hostel, she pours water into a pan, adds a few drops of soap, submerges the first blouse, and rubs the fabric together. When the clothes have dried on the line, she takes them down. In the genderless, locking stall's bathroom, she tries on the best blouse with slacks and examines herself in the mirror. Not bad. She pins a name tag on the front. The name tag is a lucky find. She saw it on the road one day. Pinning her hair back, she smiles which looks like a stern frown. The name tag reads, Belina. She says, hi, yes ma'am my name is Belina. Her friend told her about the old folks home next to that neighborhood where all the elderly live it up. The rest home towers. A sky crane crashed into it one time. She can get to the cafeteria by taking the side stairs to the basement. When she ventures into the cafeteria, her heart thumps as she walks between rows of tables. Bot chairs wheel peeps in and position them at tables where bots on ceiling rails bring trays of food. Not an attendant's face in sight. Let's do this quickly. In her self-assembled uniform, Madge searches for the peeps who look like they've had time to eat and are done. Will someone watching CCTVs come and tell her to leave? Just stay calm. She leans over a table and asks an old femme in a soft jacket, are you done here? The femme looks up and says, you're not a robot. Marge laughs and says, no ma'am, we have some technical difficulty today. I can take your tray. The femme nods. Marge gathers five trays, stacking them on each other, and takes them to the tables near the wall where no one sits. Removing a plastic bag from her pocket, she uses a spoon to scrape food from the trays into the bag. Her movements feel tense, and she presses her lips together. She repeats taking trays, scooping scraps into the bag, and leaving the trays on the table. When the bag becomes a little difficult to handle, she marches up the steps into the hard light carrying it. So what if the food is mixed? So what if the bread will be soggy? They're going to be soggy in her stomach after she eats and she'll eat until she feels full. She finds a park-like area near the train tracks and sits on a bench in the privacy and shade of trees and hedges. Opening the bag, she studies the meat cakes, mashed potatoes, gravy, steamed veggies, and rolls. She picks out a meat cake that someone took a few slices off of and bites off a mouthful. Rolling her eyes, she says, that's so good. The next morning when Jane comes downstairs, loud voices and laughter meet her in the living room. A guy wearing a straw hat says, damn, mine is up to ten. Six people sit around, glasses frosted over but talking to each other. Another guy says, catching up. Jane says, what's going on? A femme sitting with knees bent and drawn up near her chest and bare feet on the couch says, we're making money, real money. She moves her hands like she's hitting buttons in her virtual space. Some of the others do the same. There's always some news about making money online, and it always turns out to be a scam. Jane says, how are you doing that? The femme says, Conjun, look up the company Conjun. They pay for Peep's reaction. Jane pulls a chair from a corner and sits. In her AR the company promises pay. She signs up and then listens to a phone conversation between a person and an AI transcript of the conversation tracks. She's supposed to mark any point where the AI messes up. The caller says, that number doesn't work. The AI says, try the number again. Jane taps on the transcript. It's so annoying when AI gets stuck in a loop like that. A zero dollar in her upper right turns into a ten cent. She squeals. The others laugh. One of the guys says, you have a ways to go to catch up. Jane says, and I can withdraw this money. The femme says, you can link your content account to gain this and use it like a checking account. Jane's energy boost makes her squirm. She shakes her fists and squeals again. The guy who only recently started living in the house says, be careful. If you tag something that isn't an AI mistake, you can lose money. Jane knows AI blunders. Everyone jokes about the AI that doesn't get it. Talk talk videos about idiotic things chat that say go viral. When people complain about having to deal with zombies, they mean AI. So to get paid to tag zombie blunders gives Jane a satisfaction she's been missing without knowing it. One femme shouts, I'm at 15. Jane is behind the others, but she's catching up.
Ernesto pushes his cart under an overpass, glad to pass under a shadow. Lots of peeps loiter here. Maybe he'll get lucky and someone might offer bottled water. Preston, who always hangs out here, sits in his usual spot on a cooler near piles of garbage. Preston looks like a punk. He would have been on the streets even when factories offered jobs. Besides appearing malnourished, sun-scarred, and dirty, he has the face of a hoodlum. Crooked grin, beady eyes, and permanent snarl. Normally Preston gets in everyone's business. Normally Preston would walk up to Ernesto asking, how's it going? Got any pleasant? Want pleasant? Have cash? But Preston's glasses are frosted over and his fingers play air keyboard. Ernesto calls out, hey president. Would you die man? The frost on Preston's glasses clear, and he says Ernest. Ernesto nods still slowly pushing his cart. Preston says, bruh, I'm making money for real. Ernesto says, what? Preston's eyes dance, his fingers do a ghost dance, he grabs an invisible object, throws it at Ernesto, and says, I just sent you the link. Use my link so I can make money. An AR object appears in Ernesto's right field of view. Ernesto says, it's probably some kind of scam. Preston gives his head a vigorous shake and with a higher voice, he says, no. I'm telling you it's clean. Ernesto waits until he gets to his camp under the bushes before clicking the link. His old self emerges a little as he watches an introductory video. The site will give him instances where an AI has messed up and they'll pay him to write better responses than the AI could have said. Sitting on dirt surrounded by litter, his legs splayed, he strikes the air with grimy fingers, hitting a stride, raking in the coin. In the morning, Madge sits in her bunk in the hostel, glasses opaque, fingers touching air keys. At 10 she walks to the library and works in BR at one of the study booths. After 12, she sits in the rundown outside seating area of a lunch stand that closed down years ago, and around 3, she returns to the hostel to work a couple of more hours. Outwardly sullen, she won't interact with those around her, not as she doesn't have to. When she first heard of the data farming jobs, she signed up for all of them. For one company an AI asks her questions when one of its answers has gone to downvote. At another company, she watches and listens to four avatars, and chooses which one is the AI. She can also act as one of the avatars. At a third, she marks dialogue for how it should be read. Calmly, happily, sadly, concerned, angrily, or inspired. She works at seven of the top sites, one each day of the week. Marking hours worked and wages earned, getting a good sense of which pays the most. Otherwise, it can be confusing knowing which pays more, and which makes her feel like she's earning more. The site where she helps AI find better answers pays the most, so she devotes five of her days to that, and two of her days to the emotional tag site. By her estimations, she earns 30% more. When asked if she'll move, Jane gives a firm no. Half the squatters in her house leave on trips or find nicer places now that they have money. Jane and those who remain hold the true heart of the household, anyway. Whether people stay or go, it's hilarious to see them spending. You can learn a lot about people by what they buy. Jane moves into a room on the second floor, but still spends lots of time on the first floor. Every day is a cause for celebration, it's a blast. Everyone pitches in. One will buy the water, one the veggies, one the algae meat, and one the torp. Peeps work in their rooms and come down to chill, and everyone acts giddy. When most of the people in the house are together one night, Pele says, let's all go in on a grey water system, so we can have a shower. Everyone thinks it's a great idea, and no one talks about it ever again. Giantess robots venture down their street now. The first time one came to their door, Jane pointed and laughed. By the next day, going to the door to accept a delivery becomes part of the party rhythm. Lisa gets some new clothes, but besides that, everyone spends what they earn getting provisions for the chill sessions. Only after fall brings a few cold nights does anyone invest in solar blankets. You might think that they don't work many hours, but Jane logs in more than 40 hours a week. Work hard, party hard is spoken so often that people start insisting no one say that anymore. 
One night Jane clambers up the stairs after one too many torps and can't fall asleep. Those downstairs believe they're a band and make all kinds of racket. Lots of times logging in and helping AI makes her drowsy, so she logs into work. She doesn't remember logging out. The next morning, she wakes in her recliner feeling woozy. She pulls a water bottle off a 12-pack, takes a swig, and hears voices. Heading downstairs, she pulls slightly tangled and matted hair from her face. Four people work in the kitchen, one grills pancakes, one mixes near juice, one cleans up, and one watches over grilling sausage. She breathes through her nostrils savoring the smells and says, I want some. Lisa says, what are you bringing? Jane says, um, I can order Sam's eggs. The smile and nod. She flips her hand to wake her assistant and says, I want one carton of Sam's eggs, bar soap, my usual loaf of bread, Sam's cheddar slices, and a 12-pack of torp. Her assistant says, you don't have sufficient funds. Lisa looks up and smiles at her. Jane says, drat. I'll just get the eggs. Her assistant says, you don't have enough money in your account. Jane scowls and walks through the dining room, living room, and out onto the porch. She opens her work site but is greeted with a welcome page, not a portal page. She says, log me into Cogent. Her assistant says, one moment. You can't log in. Her heartbeat accelerates, she stomps on the wood planks and says, what do you mean? You made a mistake. You messed up assistant. Ernesto pushes his cart up to a brick building with a sign out front that says, room for rent. People crowd the sidewalks. Voices and music mix in the warm breeze. He leaves his cart on the sidewalk, brushes off his pants, and makes a half-hearted attempt at straightening his hair. The front door is propped open to a dusty lobby with an ornate tile floor. Two young people repair a bike by a wall of mailbox doors. An antique ceiling fan slowly spins. The building was once grand, but has settled into a comfortable run-down state. At least 20 potted plants crowd the window. A dog sleeps near a tarnished umbrella stand. The elevator dings and the femme wearing a uniform briskly exits. He hesitantly walks up to the counter window. Assorted boxes crowd the little office. On an old flat screen monitor facing Ernesto, the avatar of a prim and proper, brown skinned femme looks forward. Ernesto says, I'd like to rent a room. A clickable item appears to his left. The avatar says, certainly. Please click the key to get started. On the way to his room, the skinny elevator shifts on his tracks. The dim hall smells stale, which couldn't feel more welcoming to Ernesto. He gets lost in what feels like a maze of halls that turns out to be a rectangular loop. People hold one-sided conversations behind doors. A baby cries. Room 523. The door clicks as he nears it. The narrow room has a toilet and tiny sink inside the shower, and a cabinet large enough for a hot plate before the living space barely large enough to put down some bedding. A window takes up most of the street-facing wall. He stands in the room for 10 minutes, then lifts the blinds to look down at the street. By taking many elevator trips, he brings his things from the cart up to the room. If he leaves the cart, someone will claim it sooner or later. He unwraps a new bar of soap and puts it in the sink, then turns the shower on, adjusting the temperature as he undresses. His clothes look like a pile of garbage at his feet. Dirt swirls down the drain. It must be tree sap that takes so long to clean off his right elbow. After his shower, he unwraps a new pair of pants and shirt and dresses. He unboxes a mini coffee maker, plugs it in on the counter, and makes a cup of coffee. While the coffee brews, he spreads out his blankets on the floor. With his cup of coffee in hand, he sits on the floor, leaning against the wall and taking in the reverie of his own place. His own place to rest and recoup, to process and to work out what to do next. His own place to log in and earn enough to get by and feel secure. Reclining in her bunk, Madge data farms. That's what people are calling it. People say, I'm a data farmer now fully aware of the irony. The hostel has emptied. Always overcrowded before and murmuring, most of the beds go unused. After a few hours, she leaves in her uniform and walks to the nursing home. 
In the cafeteria, some residents think she's a nurse, while most notice that all she does is collect food scraps and then leave. When she has a bag of food, she walks to the train tracks, sits near leaves starting to change color, and eats out of the bag. People who recognize her don't suspect she has changed. She still wears found clothing. She hasn't ordered from Giantess once. She hasn't bought a new pair of shoes though hers are cracked. She hasn't bought a new solar jacket though hers only generates half the power it used to. Outsiders, and let's face it, those who recognize her don't know her. Outsiders assume she never caught on to the data farming craze. Some people with no place to stay sport fancy gold watches. People who sleep on the ground eat at a five-star restaurant. People who haven't worked for years buy friends' bags of groceries. Not Madge. She hasn't splurged on a co-op muffin, a hot shower, or bond for her chapped lips. In the evening after helping AI for four hours, she checks her account. $22,430, it says. She sighs, closes her eyes, and hugs herself. Thank you for listening. I will never run ads on this podcast. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is n20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.